Hey, welcome to another Coffee and Pens podcast. This time I had the honor to speak with Ashlam and Jamie Russo about their joint creation, If Creators Are Like Wizards. Stay tuned for an entertaining conversation spanning a range of topics like NFTs, Belief Capital, and MVBs. Without further ado, let's hear Jamie and Ash from If Creators Are Like Wizards. Hello, Jamie and Ash. Thank you for joining me today. Uh, Jamie, we've met already the first interview of Coffee and Pens, but now it's the first time we'll have, each, uh, have a talk with each other uh, for the podcast as well. So can you start with a little introduction of yourself, please? No, sure. And thank you so much for having us. I'm yes, super excited to sit down and talk us. today. Um, so I'll, I'll kick things off. Um, my name is Jamie Russo. I'm a writer based in Brooklyn, New York. Um, I'm the author of a, a book called um, The Underdog Paradox. I'm incredibly excited today to share a little bit of the story behind um, the latest project that Ash and I have been working on, uh, a new book, uh, a children's book called If Creators Are Like Wizards. So incredibly excited to sit down, share a little bit more about that and, and dive in soon. All right. Thank you, Jamie. Right. First time talking to Ash. Ash, how are you? Can you introduce how us are you? as well? Of course. So my name is Ash Lam. I'm an illustrator based in Barcelona, Spain. And a few months ago, in fact, last summer, I discovered Jack's, Jack's work, Jack Boccia, and he completely changed my life. I realized that you could leverage your skills and productize yourself, and I've been building an audience since then. And here I am in a podcast with you too. All right, that's a great story. How did you guys meet, Jamie? Oh, man. I mean, unsurprisingly, Twitter, right? I think a lot of us have met on Twitter this past year. Um, yeah. So I, I met Ash through Twitter um, probably six months ago, discovered his work through the Visualized Value community. I can't recall, Ash, exactly what the first piece of work was that turned me on to you, but um, I, oh, do I, do, I do remember. I do remember. you remember? Go for it then. The, uh, the, the hand holding the pencil. Yeah. Yeah, so actually a piece of work that'll be featured in our book was something that kind of like kicked off conversations in the DMs. What I will say, though, is uh, before I reached out to Ash, the first piece of work that I do remember was that piece that you had put together for Jack and Celia when they had their first child. Oh, yeah, the portrait. I thought that was incredibly cool and like really selfless. Um, So, yeah, six months ago, I think Ash had like less than 100 followers at the point in time. And uh, I just reached out and I was like, hey, absolutely love your work. Like, would love to do something together. And that's what yeah. turned into kind of our first Twitter thread that we co-authored and uh, everything's been going on from there. All right, that's cool. So you you met six months ago. That's when you already had the idea to work together. Yeah. And then at what point in time did you decide to create this book? So Jamie and I decided to collaborate on this thread. And, and at first we didn't really know what to do it about. And Jamie had this, uh, I, this great idea of creating a thread about simplifying the, the creative process. So nowadays we have all these different tools. We have computers, Notion, Evernote, all these, we have a huge, huge amount of tools. And sometimes we forget about, about keeping things simple and just using a pencil and a piece of paper. And we get caught up in all these different tools and it makes everything incredibly complicated. So. Jamie had the the great idea of making a thread about the importance of keeping your creative process simple and paring things down to the essentials. So, you know, we worked on this thread and it went really well. I think the thread performed pretty well. We were really happy with the result. And 
a few months later, Jamie had the idea to turn this thread into a book, into a proper picture book. So obviously, we refined the book and we made it ten, the thread. We made the thread ten, ten times better, and and he, here we are now. We have a a proper picture book, and we, we are we're still working on a few details. But the, I would say the book is ninety five percent finished. It's funny how we went from a simple thread to a picture book in a few months. Crazy. Yeah, I've been like fiddling with this idea of um, the concept I call it like the MVB, minimum viable book. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's kind of like a little thing that I pull from like my background in product management and product development. Um, I, I've always been really interested in like developing creative constraints around a new book structure or new book format. And so our like MVB is kind of 20 pages or less. On each page, it's 280 characters or less. And it's blending like Ash's really incredible talent for illustration with colorful, flavorful, fun, like words and language. Mm -hmm. um, and I think like, I, I've produced a number of these books like for myself, for friends and family, but have oh, never yeah. actually taken the process of like, yeah. you know, going through the going through the process of leveraging print on demand to distribute these worldwide. Um, and that's what I'm really excited to, to do with Ash is kind of take that idea or concept of that uh, kind of MVB and uh -huh. uh, share, it, share it with the world. Cool. So when I look at the book, had a little preview and I see lots of Ash's beautiful drawings and then your kind of poetic words. And I don't want to undervalue what you wrote, Jamie, but I wonder how the time division is between what you write and the amount mm. of time that Ash spends uh, creating, designing, illustrating all of these images. Yeah. Yeah, well, I would I would say uh, when we got into this project, I, we didn't know how the time was probably going to be divided between the two of us. And yeah. uh, quite selfishly, I think uh, Ash has been doing a ton of the heavy lifting and shouldering, especially over the last <laughs> two or three weeks or so. We've been going yeah. through like layout and design and cover yeah, yeah. and all of that. It's been so much, so much work on Ash. So um, this I mean, this book, I don't know if it was my idea but this would be absolutely nowhere without uh, the amazing work of Ash. And I like, he's 10 X the talent that I am. And this book is just a small piece of me. So incredibly grateful. Uh, you're too kind, Jamie. Yeah. Your words truly helped me to, to do my best. You know, sometimes without a guidance, it's not possible to, to create a meaningful illustration. Yeah. Hey, I mean, I, I've had a lot of fun with this. Um, and I think like what I what I hope to be able to do, at least with Ash, is kind of share a little bit of that creative process. Um, I, I'd love to see Ash produce more of these books himself on his own someday. I'd love to do other collaborative projects like this with other creators, because sometimes sometimes some of the hardest pieces of this are simply like knowing where to go to leverage print on demand services and knowing how to like go through the process of doing layout and editing and all of that. Yeah, sometimes okay. that's like the biggest hurdle from getting someone from producing a Twitter thread to like publishing a book. Um, yeah. But it is, it's it's a simple process and I'd love to share it with others. Yeah, I think it's right about knowing these details about how to administrate everything. But also uh, something we talked about recently, Jamie, is showing the belief in, in someone. Because now you said Ash is maybe 10 times um, as skillful as you are, but he said, I wouldn't be here without you. And what's the biggest thing that you did is maybe just showing your you believe in him. Yeah, I think there's like this special idea. Um, I'm sure we've all heard about like the unbundling of like Reddit when it comes to all these little micro communities. 
um, that we're seeing prop up around the internet. Like, I, I think that one of the things I've always described to you for the last year or two is um, kind of this idea of like unbundling of venture capital. I read this article by KP from over at OnDeck a couple of years ago, and it's this idea of like the unbundling of venture capital. Within venture, you've got, you've got the money, so that's the venture capital. You've got the, the, the belief, that's the belief capital. You've got this idea of like socially, this social capital, who you're friends with and who you collaborate with and so forth. And I think there's something really, really special there. So um, I don't think like the beautiful thing about the creator economy is most of us have the ability to just create things without needing money to do it, right? Like we, we have exactly. the skills, we have the skills. So like the biggest hurdles for us are like that belief capital and that social capital that enable us to build what we build. Um, the social capital is like, you know, you're following your audience and so on. You know, the belief capital is me believing in Ash, Ash believing in me and vice versa. Yeah, and so exactly. I think it's a really powerful concept I want to share with others. Well, I couldn't agree more with Jamie at the end of the day. Nowadays, we can't build anything without, well, obviously we need money, but we have enough free tools at our disposal and we can build almost anything. And we, we need people to believe in us, in us and to show us love and to, you know, to maybe follow us or, or tell us um, when they like our work, you know, so it's important to know that people are rooting for you. Right, that's amazing, Ash, that you've received all this uh, support from Jamie, and I think it's a, it's a beautiful opportunity for the two of you, uh, having come together uh, through Twitter and then working together on, on a project that's so beautiful and that may lead to, to other future projects as well. I think Ash just has already uh, given you all opportunities, right? In these types of collaborations. Ash has been on a roll. Ash, I don't know if that's the lead. And I'd love to hear a little bit more about some of the other stuff that you've been working on. So um, as you've seen, I've been working on, on this poster with Jamie and Jenny. So Jamie had this idea of creating a poster. This was Justin. Um, Justin Mikolaj. He had, he had this great idea of creating a poster um, about the creator economy. And he wrote this fabulous manifesto, um, you know, about, you know, all these concepts, abstract concepts. So we made a, a poster to visualize all these ideas. And, we, and we've been working on this poster for a month or two months. Right. It's been a pretty long project and it's been challenging. It's been pretty challenging, but we finally launched the poster and at the last minute, we decided to mint the poster and create an NFT, which has been a ride, it has been a blast because it's my first ever NFT. Um, I was a bit skeptical, to be honest. I didn't really trust the, the, the industry. Um, and now I know that it more or less works, that it's possible to, to sell an NFT without having it. Well, Justin has a huge audience and Janice also, but. I don't know, it's an experience, you know, going from zero to selling an NFT and can't wait to see where this goes. And we have, we want to make more posters in the future. So this is the first edition. Uh -huh. Maybe in the future we'll create um, new editions of the creator manifesto with different illustrators. We'll see, this is, this is the only the start. I loved how that came together. And yeah. I think it's beautiful to see in, in the poster that you created, how your style and Jan's style come together. And yeah. if you're familiar with the two of you, I think it's very easy to recognize which piece you worked on and which piece he worked on. And so that's, that's just amazing. And going a bit off topic, 
but do you think Jamie that maybe NFTs is something writers and authors could, could leverage somehow as well? I'm absolutely stoked to just see where this goes. I think that I don't want to like over dramatize this, but like we all hear within our little corner of the internet, like this being kind of a, a renaissance of some sorts that we're living in right yeah. now. And I couldn't agree with that any, any further. Um, it's so cool to just see new ways that artists are capable of monetizing their work to build communities. And uh, the thing that I'm most excited about, or the thing that gets me the most jazzed about it is not that an artist can go and earn like a healthy living from their work in a way that they have never been able to do before. But what I'm now seeing through that community, which is they're taking that money and they're feeding it back into the art community. This, this doesn't just happen in a, a vacuum where, you know, one artist or a couple of artists get rich and don't share their wealth. Like it's literally building this massive art community and movement um, that is now fueling fueling something with a ton of energy. And so that's that's really the most exciting thing to me. Um, it's great. It's great that people are making a lot of money, but um, let's also not forget that, you know, despite these these large numbers, like this money is actually just being fed back into the, the community. Yeah, that's beautiful. How do you feel about this, Ash? Couldn't agree more. It's amazing. Because for example, well, Jamie has been buying NFTs from Aaron and Janice, right? Yeah, well, I'm amassing a small collection as we speak. Yeah, but, but it's amazing <laughs> to see you, you know, to see you buy, like to see you spend $700 on a piece of art to, for, from a creator that you like and that you admire. It's amazing. Same with Janice. I mean, he's buying pieces from Aaron and vice versa. And Jack has been buying tons of NFTs from all these unknown artists. So he's supporting people that haven't got a large following. It's great. I mean, super excited. Um, I can't wait to see where this new technology goes. And I, I feel tempted to start working on an NFT project, you know, like my own version of the board what's it called uh, ape board ape club uh -huh. or oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yacht club. <laughs> i remember the name but i mean it's amazing it's fascinating yeah makes me want to switch from writing to yeah designing Go right away <laughs> but anyway uh back to the book art uh, kill our time will come okay the, yeah i i want to come back to that for a second yeah i'm incredibly excited to see um what can be done with uh with right, online writing, NFTs, uh, yeah, there's definitely. there's a huge opportunity there that will eventually have some sort of a, a monetization model that works really, really well. I know there's already some folks that are doing some really cool things, yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, I think that uh, digital art and uh, that community has kind of found their product market fit, so to say. Uh, I, I the, the jury is still out on like writing and essays and long, you know, I've seen some people like, De publishing decentralized books and stuff like that, but oh, I don't think it's really as I don't wow. think it's really as big or known yet um, as it is in the kind of like digital art community um, as it is yeah. in the writing community. So I'm interested to see like what happens over the next couple of years um, because yeah. there'll be a moment for for sure. Yeah, I've seen a few things happening. So for one, there's uh, Quora who's now um, creating oh. a monetization program. Um, I've seen Nicholas Gold's quite excited about this because of course chorus audience is a lot bigger than mediums for example and then yeah. there's like um another platform which is going to be similar to medium but works out of bitcloud 
which is cloud. Oh. Anyway, um, yeah, as you said, Jamie, our time as writers will come. And for now, there's still good ways to make money from books, isn't there? Isn't it? So, yeah, definitely. Uh, definitely. Uh, speaking about that, um, with your book, I've seen many of the of the designs of the illustrations and I've seen your like lines of, of, of poetry or of, of words on Twitter but on, until recently I've never seen them connected and with reference to the book is that on my part or have you not been doing a lot of like, advertising marketing around this book up till now? Yeah I mean the promotion has been like pretty minimal so far um, so I think there's a little bit of of work that Ash and I have to do on that front yeah. in the next two or three weeks. Um, Definitely. But I think what uh, Ash and I wanted to do was we wanted to make sure that the final product was ready before we really locked ourselves into that launch date. So we had a tentative launch date of September 15th. There were a couple of things that we needed to finish before ensuring that we would be good to go and green light that date. I think by now we're pretty confident that we'll hit that. Um, so uh, I think that's been maybe like something that's been holding us back from going all out on, on our uh, marketing campaign, but yeah, uh, yeah duly noted. We don't want to be too salesy as well. We don't want to persuade people to buy the book or force people to buy the book or make people feel guilty if they don't buy the book. We want this to be something natural and fun and see where it goes. We'll see. Okay. Um... That, that's good because you know you don't want to push people too much yeah but uh, speaking of of selling this book anyway who who's your target audience for this book mm, good question well it's tricky you know because i don't like like it's true it's a picture book but it's not a, i don't think it's a children's book it's a picture book so it's jamie's right um i think this book is a great fit for creators who have children but I think, it, I think both adults and even teenagers and very young children can enjoy the book. So it depends on the person. Okay, perfect. I see you smiling, Jamie. Uh, do you agree? Is there anything? Of course you agree. <laughs> yeah, no, I, together, right? Yeah, I, mean, well, I do agree. I mean, it's, it's interesting because when Ash and I wrote the piece, we, we wrote it initially for the Twitter audience, right? So there's... Yeah. You know, you, you can imagine who our target audience was when we initially penned the piece. Um, it was for our community. It was to inspire others to kind of disconnect and uh, think a little bit about what they could do with a pen and paper. Um, that said, after compiling this into a book, I think we realized like this is this is kind of a cool piece of art that uh, creators can enjoy, but their children might enjoy it. Even exactly. More. And so. We noticed that through the pre-launch that we yeah. uh, hosted a couple of weeks ago, that yeah. a lot of the comments all across social media were, oh, I can't wait to buy this and read it to my son or my daughter. Yeah. And that wasn't something that we realized until we had kind of shared a preview of it. So I think coming back to the concept of like this minimum viable book, sometimes authors spend months, years, uh, over decade. a decade, Kel, I don't know who you've spoken to on your podcast and, and interviewed, but I, I have people who have told me, oh yeah, I've been working on a book for 20 years. Well, wow. like sometimes, wow. sometimes I, know, I mean, whatever works for the right Amazing. person, but, um, but I think like through this process of like 
building something small, sharing about the journey in public, it's enabled us to get a better understanding of who our target audience is here. Um, and so even though, you know, Ash and I really wanted to write this for creators, like it might be a really cool piece for their kids. I agree. So what you're actually doing with this book, if I'm right, is you're kind of testing, kind of testing the market. It's a product test. So see how, how the sales of this book go and, and, and see if there's a market for this to create more yeah. similar kind of books in the future. Exactly. Yeah. Is that... Yeah. Sorry. You might be, yeah, you might be seeing some of the future there. <laughs> yes. Yeah, um, I mean, it is. Yeah, it's our first creative piece together, you know, so. Um, it's I an mean, experiment. We'll yeah. yeah. Um, is that something, that concept of a minimum viable book, something that you think works across all genres? Yeah, I don't know. I think I'm, so. I think Maybe. for testing ideas, yeah. Uh, but, um, yeah, I mean, I, I've created a, a, a collection of these books at this point that I have had no interest in selling. Mm -hmm. um, I've, I've used it for poetry. I've used it for short fiction. I've used it for, um, you know, I've, I've taken some of my own favorite threads written by others and turned them into books that I've published wow. for myself to just have a collection of. I am someone who I love reading and I love having a collection of ideas sitting there on my shelf that I know are just reminders. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, you sometimes don't even need to open a book to just be like reminded of like the idea there. And so I think this can transcend a lot of different genres, but um, again, like kind of coming back to some of the creative constraints that Ash and I had, we wanted it to be 20 pages or less. We wanted each page yeah. to be 280 characters or less, something that can fit into a kind of thread. And uh, that's the concept that we've got. Right, beautiful. So these, these books that you print out um, yourself, I think it's pretty interesting. So you, you, you made them all to by yourself or did you collaborate uh, with others as well? So these have all been personal pieces. Um, uh, I've for uh, early, early drafts of some books, uh, especially like hardcover, I will simply use Shutterfly to take like 20 images that I might create on Canva and combine them into a physical book to just look and feel and see like what it's like in your hands. Um, it's, that's like an, something that is very emotional in nature, just like feeling the story almost in your hands. So um, yeah, I've been using Shutterfly. They offer this service to create these six by yeah. six inch uh, books for like $10 or less, basically um, 20 pages. It's all, you know, very, very tangible. So um, that's been something I've been doing. It just wasn't something I ever was interested in, like going through the process of, of uh, you know, publishing and sharing with the world until this most recent one with Ash. All right, so it's kind of a way instead of like printing out your manuscript just on, on paper, you, you already kind of print out this manuscript in, in book format. Yeah, I mean, anyone can do it. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Anyone can do that. Yeah, anyone can do that, but not anyone has, not everyone has the idea to do it because like you said, it's just $10. It's, it's not that expensive to, to just see what you created on paper and have the real feeling. Um, I think it's a good idea for authors to, to have uh, to try this out before they, before yeah. they even want to go to publish everything of course you get your you get your um book like test it before you start selling it but i think exactly. many writers at that stage are already beyond editing and everything and already it's already too late to make too many changes to the layout and everything exactly. so that's that's a hidden tip right there i think it's a great way to test a book before you invest too much money into it 
Google has a great option as well to print um, a book, a really cheap, really easy, quick, great option. If you want to fill mm -hmm. a book before hiring an editor, or maybe, I don't know, maybe hiring an illustrator, it's a good way to test things quickly and get a feeling. So it's great. All right. Thank you. Speaking of tools, I saw uh, that you used to do playbook.com. Um, is that something that you used from the start or just for the layout? Can you talk, tell me a bit about the tool? So Playbook, a funny story, Playbook is a really new um, startup. Um, it started like a, a, a couple of years ago when I met the co-founder a year ago. And he's building this awesome product for creatives. Um, it's an alternative to Google Drive, to Dropbox. Cheap, it works really well and it's visual and it's, it, it allows you to build a portfolio without a website. Well, it's a great concept. So it's been really helpful to, you know, to share the files with Jamie and to, um, you know, to work on the prototypes and to design the book. I've used um, Affinity Publisher. So I had to buy the, it's my first time ever designing a book. So that was pretty challenging. At first, I thought it would be really easy because, I mean, it's, it's a simple layout. You know, it's not a magazine. Mm -hmm. Illustration, text, that's it. Every page is almost the same. But, oh, my goodness, it's hard getting the format right, the color profile, the resolution. It's hard. But you live and you learn. So, you know, it's taken us a bit of extra time to get the book right. But if we ever collaborate again in the future, It'll be easier because now we have a template. So, you know, there's always a first time. So from my point of view, the most challenging part was the layout design. Yeah, that, that's funny. That's something um, I think most orders underestimate. And then they get to the point of the layout design. And hmm. I've talked about this in my previous two interviews. Yeah. And you know what? I talked to Rob uh, Fitzpatrick the other week, and he does everything in Google Docs. And I oh, think yeah. that's even more mind-blowing that it's just uh, something simple as Google Docs and then he creates everything right there. Um, but to make this easier, maybe, Ash, is there anything that you learned about creating this layout that can make it easier for other people? Mm, good question. Well, my first advice, well, I mean, this is a bit controversial, but would be to teach Adobe and switch to Affinity. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> If, if Adobe ever listens to this podcast, they'll never sponsor me, but it's done now. I mean, Adobe is too expensive. It's too slow. I don't like it anymore. So first step, switch to a simpler software like Rob, you know, mm -hmm. he keeps things simple, Google Docs, and that's it. Again, we were using illustration, so it adds an extra layer of, difficult, of you know, of of difficulty but but i mean keep things as simple as you can and watch a tutorial on youtube as usual and learn the basics stick to the basics don't try to be too fancy don't add frames and and stickers just keep things simple text white background illustration copyright page that was a bit challenging because i know what do you include to the copyright page so I had to go on, on Google and, and download a template 
And I think we, we got it right. But once, here's the thing, once you do your first book, that's it. Now you have a template uh -huh. and you can easily duplicate the template and use it for other projects. Right. Um, now, getting back to some different kind of tips, more interesting maybe for the listeners. Jamie, we talked already the first time, but I didn't ask you um, for your writing tips at the end, something I have been doing in further interviews. So could you take a second mm -hmm. and share your top three writing tips? Yeah, so here's, here's a couple of different ones, hopefully. Um, so one of the things that I have really enjoyed through this creative process um, in like working with another illustrator um, is like using that as an opportunity to use really fun language. Um, I, think, I think this book could have been written in many different ways, um, but we chose to use very flavorful language that brings the reader along a journey uh, a lot of metaphors, a lot of different, uh, a lot of different personification to help people kind of put themselves in the shoes of other artists and creatives and illustrators and architects. So I've really enjoyed using a lot of very fun language in this book. Um, it's filled with that. And I think if you're ever working with another artist or illustrator or creative on a collaborative project where you're the one responsible for the words, and they're responsible for something else entirely different. Um, I think giving them something to play with is, is really fun. The second thing that I'll say is um, it's really, really important to give the artist complete control over the creative process. Um, I have heard from a, a lot of horror stories from uh, artists, friends who have worked with other writers before, like, the, the writer wanting to have creative control over what goes into the pages. And I think that's a terrible experience for both people involved. Over the last two weeks, Ash and I have had to like fine tune some of the illustrations so that the bleeds on the page. And so that yeah. the way that the layout worked was perfect. But at, at no point have I ever uh, like forced Ash or asked Ash to present something. It's been a very collaborative thing between the two of us. Ash has pushed me to bring in more flavorful language into this fun project. And uh, likewise, like I, we've been working together to try and get these illustrations right. But I think giving an artist complete control over the creative process is incredibly important um, and suffocating them in any way, shape or form just stifles the end product. So those would be probably two really big ones from, from this journey that I've taken away that uh, maybe didn't share in the last book. Okay, yeah, because it was a different process, of course. Uh, which the first book was more, was of course um, nonfiction, more clear yeah. writing, and this one is is more poetic, right? It's almost poetry, if if it isn't poetry. Um, and so, as you said, you use a lot of vivid language, a lot of uh, imagery. Are there any tools that you use to find these words, or is it just all from your own um, thinking? Yeah, I have. Um, so I've been playing with this idea for the last couple of months. Um, the idea being like, what sort of unconventional advice can we provide to creators that maybe they've never like seen or thought about before, mm -hmm. right? So if you, if you are an artist, what does that turn your paintbrush into, right? Like, what are some cool, fun metaphors that we can use to describe that brush? Or, um, you know, if you're in order, like, what are some fun and interesting and beautiful things about speech 
And how can we blend that beauty into words and translate that to others? So a lot of it has been like making odd or interesting connections that maybe haven't been made previously um, and bringing those into very, very short prose um, that do doesn't overemphasize like any particular facet of the language other than just like the pure idea. Um, so it's, it's very short, very concise. And uh, yeah, in, in some ways like poetic, but wasn't designed from the get go to be poetry. Um, instead, just like a very fun experience for a reader. Uh -huh. You've been testing a lot of these on Twitter. So you've been sharing many of these metaphors as separate tweets. Uh, do you think that influenced much of the metaphors and how many of those metaphors maybe uh, made it into the book and like how, what, which percentage didn't make it? Yeah, I mean, so I, I try to publish um, like at least one idea on Twitter every single day. And uh, someday I do hope to like go back to a lot of that content and illustrate it myself. Um, but right now, like I've just been picking and choosing a few of those each week and curating them for my newsletter and then curating a few of those into this book. So I, I think of my creative process as like I, Twitter is my idea refinery. It's like the initial like raw idea that comes out of, I do a lot of my writing with two thumbs, which is probably mm -hmm. bad, but a lot of my ideas are written in two thumbs and on my phone. Uh, I take a lot of those ideas at the end of the week, I curate them and I put them into my newsletter, good note. So that's like round one, I get feedback from Twitter and I take my favorite ones and I put them into a newsletter. Um, and then I take some of those ideas from the newsletter and I curate them and I put them on my website. And then I take some of those from my website and I put them into books. So there's, it's multiple rounds of editing that these yeah. kind of ideas go through just through my creative writing process. Uh-huh. And did, well, at the end of this process, did you pass on these lines to Ash or at any point did Ash also could contribute to, to the language, the words of this book? So, yeah. Um, so Jamie did contribute on the illustration and I did contribute a little bit um, on the writing as well. So it's good to, you know, to switch roles every once in a while and to share different ideas so whenever Jamie you know had an idea for an illustration you know he told me and vice versa so it's I would highly recommend any anyone to you know to to not to not be in a pigeonhole and to you know help the writer and vice versa it's good to switch roles and to collaborate right thank you <laughs> Because if you don't share your opinion, um, you aren't collaborating in the end. It makes the end work right. so much better. Like I, yeah. I would probably say Ash is his harshest critic. I am my harshest critic. But at the end of the day, like there are even there are gaps that we see in our own work that someone else with a, a an eye, uh, a, a, a relaxed eye has the ability to kind of come in and like help folks see. So. There, there were moments on this book where like Ash was working late, late, late at night and like handing something off to me. And I was like, you know, there's like one little thing there that like needs to be edited. Like he needed like an additional eye on that. And likewise, when we were early on in the, in the creative writing process, we were collaborating in a Google doc. Like Ash yeah. was very helpful in adding comments and sections and saying, oh, you should build this out more. Or maybe we should add a page about this or, or so on. So it was yeah, very much like we're both our own harshest critics, but sometimes we even miss some, some simple things. Right. Is there anything else you learned from working together, like including the time difference and everything? Well, um, I would say that adding constraints to the craft 
is always a good thing when even when you're collaborating with someone else so keeping things as simple as you can from the start and being a minimalist so as you can see we did add constraints illustrations almost all of them um have a pencil text the same 280 characters or less so it's all and all the pages are the same so adding constraints makes the whole process 10 times easier because we know what we're doing we don't have to be discussing oh well what should we do in this page should i make you know should i make the illustration full page should i make it that way it's you know making things clear from the start okay yeah that's a good point anything else you would add jamie well i think something that's been really neat and interesting is just how two people can collaborate so so asynchronously this is this is only the second time that i've been able to sit on a phone call with ash wow you know um yeah we we use we use tools ourselves. Like even though this book is about pen and paper, uh, you know, we we use technology ourselves to make this this happen. Um, hopefully, at some point, Ash can share some of the behind the scenes because I know he has really great uh, pencil illustrations that go along with some of these stories. But so it, you know, oh, it did yeah. it did start uh, it did start from the heart, and it started with uh, a, a low tech solution, but. Uh, we we've been collaborating through dms we've been collaborating through google docs we've been collaborating through telegram we've been collaborating through playbook we've been you know very asynchronously communicating with one another for the last month or so now at this point um, around this project and it's just cool to see like one person hand off a piece of work go to bed wake up and it being taken yeah. to the next stage <laughs> you definitely know? Yeah. Um, that's pretty yeah. cool yeah, I, I can actually see a benefit there of, of living in different time zones. So when, when one goes to sleep, the other is almost going to wake up and then can immediately start working on it. And then when you wake up the next yeah. day, there's been progress. And, and in, in such a way, definitely when you're working on two different sides of the book, so one's doing the writing, one's doing the illustrations, there's yeah. going to be almost 24-7 progress. Um, yeah. So that's pretty cool. Uh, I mean, sometimes video calls slow down the whole process people love i mean i i really enjoy video calls and meeting the other person and having a chat with them but sometimes more often than not they slow the whole process i mean when i used to work at an agency i mean we spent hours and hours jumping on zoom calls and we never talked about anything you know we we, we just wasted time and time the same with the poster I, you know, we, I only had like two calls with Justin and Janice, you know, everything else, just Slack, DMs, Google Drive, Playbook, and that's it. Keep, keeping the process simple. Sometimes you don't need to jump on a call every, every day. You just keep things easy. Yeah, because when you sit face to face, and even though there's like a laptop and you can run everything in between, it's so easy to start talking about personal things and how, like, how's, yeah. your, how's your life? And oh, yeah, we had to yeah. talk about the book. There's like five minutes left to start talking about it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I, I think that's great that you've been able to leverage all these um, online tools to, to do everything yeah. asynchronously. And another thing I picked up from, from Jamie that you just said a few minutes ago is that Ash, you made some, so you started many visuals on pen and paper. Yes, I um, did. Is that I always do, yeah. You always do. All right, so cool. 
Um, so what I want to go to is, is that one of uh, like the tips that you would give starting designers or illustrators and what else would you, would you tell them to do? So again, my number one tip, and I can't stress this enough, is to add constraints. I learned this from Jack and from Aaron and from Janice even. Keep things simple. Um, I, I must add more constraints myself because I'm using way too many colors, mm. too many shades, and that's a good thing, but I would like to streamline stuff and keep things simple. So the trick that I see very few people applying is to add constraints, like as, as many constraints as you can, like using only one color or two colors always using the same size. Look, I, I always sketch my stuff on, on these notepads. I uh -huh. never use a notebook. I never use a, a normal paper sheet. I always use these tiny notepads because they, you know, they have a constraint. It's always the same size. It's square and it's tiny. And I can't spend hours, you know, um, working on the details. Just have to focus on the on the essential so mm -hmm. i mean it's it's almost magic like as soon as you add constraints your level you know you, you you know you step up to the next level and jack has done a phenomenal job at adding constraints black and white sky aaron as well jamie as well he's great at keeping things simple and i can always recognize his style on twitter without even looking at his profile picture because he writes in this poetic way and he always keeps things pretty short and it's amazing i mean it's yeah great technique um constraints is something that every creative every artist when you work with illustrations or with words should leverage um i think it's underused in writing but in constraints oh, yeah. for yourself how do you feel about that jamie because you kind of do put those constraints on on much of your writing yeah yeah, I'm constantly working on uh, incorporating more and more. I, I mean, a, a good example would just be Shakespeare, right? Like the Shakespearean sonnet. It's like, it, there's a lot of cr like creative freedom within that format, but at the end of the day, like same structure, same flow, same rhythm, same, like you can expect, you know, scene A, scene B, scene C as you go through the entire play. So. I think there definitely are some really fantastic artists that have leveraged it to their ability in the past. Um, great writers. And yeah, it's something I keep working on. You know, it's tough. Yeah. It's tough. It is. It's something that got a bit lost, isn't it? Because before there were these sonnets and then there were other kinds of, of poetic structures. And I think there were about five to 10 that were pretty famous. And now you just don't see those kind of things anymore. Everyone's just free to write what they think. And there's a lot yeah. of long form essays and a lot of, of books. And then, you know, there's not as much artist in the writer anymore. Or maybe I just don't see it. Yeah, well, I mean, um, you know, I still love poetry. A, a good example would be like the haiku. I'm sure we see a lot of writers on Twitter. Like oh, that, yeah. That, since it does love, fit in the 280 character limits. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, and then there's like other delineations of haikus as well, like collaborative writing uh, in poetry, collaborative haikus where people string together, hi you know, haikus to form longer form pieces. I think 100 haikus counts as like a, you know, raiku or something like that. Mm -hmm. there's, all these, there's all these terms. I'm less familiar with them, was exploring them earlier um, last year. But yeah, I mean, there's, there's some really good formats out there that I think the, the art has just been a little bit lost in, in recent years because 
we live in this area of Twitter where it's very much driven by like James Clear, David Perel, Dickie Bush. <sighs> They've all got these formats, which those have constraints in themselves as well. Like the Atomic Essay is a really, really good example. But it's kind of our area of the world that we live in, or like our corner of the internet, is is very different from some other corners where there are a lot more constraints in poetic uh, po poetic use of language. So uh, it's just going out and finding those influences. Yeah, that's right. Okay, um, we've almost come to the end. There's always one question I ask um, before we go. <laughs> you kind of answered it already, Ash, but I'm going to have a try anyway. What's your secret? My secret. Yeah. Mm, good question. Um, my secret for what? I mean, I don't want to be too repetitive, but I, <laughs> I would say to add constraints. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, that's what, what I thought. <laughs> I mean, I became a minimalist uh, a year ago or two years ago and becoming a mini. Are you guys familiar with minimalism? Yeah, yeah. As a lifestyle, I mean, it has completely changed my life and I'm still working on it. But I mean, it's amazing the power of simplicity and of keeping things as simple as you possibly can, getting rid of stuff that you aren't using. I mean, not only you become happier, but you become more productive. And I mean, it's crazy. I mean, I'm so glad I discovered minimalism. And it's not only about getting rid of furniture and throwing away old stuff it's you can also apply minimalism to your craft to your website to your twitter twitter bio to, to your whole strategy content strategy nowadays people make stuff really complicated you know they have these really complex twitter bios with likes uh, with links i'm working on 26 different projects isn't that but what if we kept things simple and we focused on the essentials. I, I mean, that's what I would say. That's my secret. Okay, cool. So minimalism, keeping everything simple, use your constraints. Yeah. I think it fits nicely together, this, this lifestyle of keeping things simple and the design style of keeping things simple. Jamie, I, I can't remember if I asked you the first time around what, what your secret mm. was. Here, I wrote down the first time that your secret is, is, you know, having those close friends, like a good, group of, mm. of people that back you up is that something you stand behind still or is there something else that you yeah. think is more important yeah i mean I, I think that's a really powerful thing we were talking about belief capital earlier i think that's a really powerful thing um i would maybe summarize it slightly differently this time too it's like just go out there and have fun like i i really love using twitter as a bit of a playground and i think in doing so it introduces you to some other people that are interested in having fun with you. And so um, for me, like constantly, like having fun, using Twitter as a playground, searching for that serendipitous moment where you never know which two atoms are gonna collide, but you know, when they do, uh, it creates something really special. Um, you just, you never know where things are gonna take you. And this has been so much fun. Uh, Ash, I've had such a blast working with you on this. Kale, thanks for, so much for having us. And so incredibly excited to just be able to share some of our experiences with others. So. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you, both of you, Jamie and Ash. Thanks for being here with me, sharing your story. Before we go, um, just Jamie, where can people find you? Where can people follow you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, um, I'm most active on Twitter, so at Jamie Russo. Um, and if anyone's interested in checking out the work, uh, jamierusso.me, that's my website. How about you, Ash? So you can find me at 
ashlamp.com and there you'll find everything about me, my Twitter, my email. That's it. Thank you for listening. If you want to find out more, check the links in the description. You can also get if creators are like wizards on Amazon. And the best place to follow Ash and Jamie is on Twitter. Please don't forget to hit the subscribe button for this podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at CoffeePens and on Instagram at Coffee underscore Pens. And why not share your favourite part of this podcast episode in a tweet? I'd love to hear from you. Much love. Kia.